When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Jamie. And we're pleased to be joined by Natalie Burrell. Uh, we had you on earlier in the season chatting about Man United women. Uh, that will be a big focus of this show. We will also talk about the fixtures that are coming back in. Men's Premier League kicking back off on the weekend with Newcastle. We'll do a bit of international roundup. Have a touch as well on the ownership situation. And yeah, a couple of the other things that are going on at Manchester United. But since we've got Natalie here, uh, say hello, Natalie. Okay. Look, we'll start with the Man United women's situation. I mean, uh, it's especially a good time for us to focus on it since it's been international break. United women beat West Ham 4-0 on the weekend. And I'd say a kind of surprise result with City beating Chelsea means we're now back top of the league. Uh, only just on goal difference. But yeah, it all counts. Um, I mean, Natalie, I'll ask you first off, are you, do you think that we can win the league this year? Um, yeah, I do. I think at the start of the season, I would have said no. I don't think we were sort of at that stage where we could have, even though, you know, we had beaten Arsenal and we had um, played against uh, City and obviously got points there. I, I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't convinced that we could see it out. But I think there's like seven games left. And I think definitely we can see it out and get... Um, get the points and definitely win um win the league but whether we will I don't know you know um we we need to just be consistent I mean we're doing it now against um uh you know West Ham these are the teams that we dropped points against last season you know we've got Villa coming up Villa away and it's games like that Villa away Spurs at home that I'm most worried about but obviously the reverse fixtures of what I've just said the Arsenal at home, the city at home, are they going to be the ones that trip us up? I think if we need to be perfect at the end of the season, then yeah, we can win it. Why not? Let's do it. It'll be good. But I think the main aim for me, as a fan who's been watching from the start, is getting Champions League. In the women's game, it's top three Champions League. So that is the most important thing. Obviously, I want to win the league. We're in the semi-final against Brighton. I mean, they're at the bottom of the league. The same as the men, you know, in the semi-final against Brighton. So, you know, men and women could be in an FA Cup final at Wembley and, you know, things like that are important. But, you know, if you said to me at the start of the season, what do I want? It's to finish in that top three spaces and get Champions League. That'll just push our club on. We'll get so much more money from it and uh, attract the best players. And that's what we need, I think, at this stage. Well, you know, give me a league, give me an FA Cup, 100%. That's, that's it's Man United, you know, at the end of the day. And it's... it's the women's team, we need to invest in it, like the men's. But, you know, obviously, I think they're both probably at similar stages in their, you know, career, in their, where we're at. You know, the men, we wanted us win a few trophies, get Champions League. We're not really thinking about the league. But I think in the women's game, it's so fewer teams. So that's where why we're so far up. I mean, obviously, yeah, we're doing very well. We've been together a lot longer than probably what Ten Hag has had his players together. And you know, playing this style of play on the mark for, you know, this is the second year now. So, I think we can. I want us to. Will we? I don't know. But, you know, I don't know. You know, I want us to, to win, get in the Champions League, really, first and foremost. That's the bread and butter, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. That has obviously been the main aim for this season is to finish top three, go to the Champions League, which Man United women have never done. Just kind of missed out last season getting that fourth place. But there is four big teams who are all fighting for these three places. We are currently top spot, uh, joint on points with Manchester City, but we have the better goal difference. Chelsea currently in third, Arsenal in fourth, but they've both got games in hands. So it's so close. I mean, just the kind of Premier Women's Super League game before, we obviously, we lost to Chelsea. And I kind of felt on that match that, you know, our title hopes had died. But then, yeah, all of a sudden, Chelsea dropped some points. And yeah, we are sat back top of the Women's Super League with only, yeah, six matches for us, seven for Chelsea and Arsenal. Uh, so, you know, we're two thirds, more than two thirds of the kind of season through now. We're kind of in the running. So, yeah, you do think, look, we are sat top. We are got that place there. And goal difference could come into it as well. You know, I was looking at the goal differences yeah, just we've earlier. We've done so well with the goal difference. Let's just say, like, I mean, this time last year, we did not have that goal difference. Even of two seasons ago under Casey, we did not have this goal difference. So, you know, when we go 1 0 up against West Ham, I was there going second, third, fourth. You know, that, that's what we need because. It could be a, there was a situation, they were saying that it could be a situation with, um, you know, all teams finish levels, you know, or finish levels. So, you know, winning 4 5 nil, people are celebrating, I get it, but really, we can't be saying like 1 0 against bottom of the table teams, like we're coming up against Brighton. It's not good enough, you know what I mean? And it sounds really harsh, isn't it? You know, three points is three points, but like you're saying, goal difference, it's so important how tight it is. You need to be putting teams like West Ham, like we have done, Brighton, that we've got coming up, Spurs. I mean, uh, Arsenal scored five past them. This is what you need to be doing all the time against everyone around you. I mean, we did score five against Villa at Old Trafford, but it's a bit harder against them now. They're doing very well. But you need to be scoring a lot of goals against these other teams that are good, but, you know, you can get the goals. Yeah, that is the thing in the Women's Super League. Sometimes it's not enough, like you say, just to get the three points. Like, yeah, goal difference is probably going to come into it somewhere in this play. And one big team is going to miss out on Champions League. I mean, but yeah, we've had an absolutely great season. We scored the most goals in the Women's Premier uh, Super League this year and conceded the least joint with Arsenal. Uh, I remember at that start of the season where Mary Earps had that crazy kind of run where I can't remember how many games it was before she conceded a goal. It was like 10 or 12 games or something. But yeah, she's had a brilliant start to the season. She also won that Best Goalie in the World award. <clears throat> yeah, we our number one hope is obviously that Champions League, but it would be ahead of kind of expectations to win the league. But yeah, why not? Why not? Um, I mean, Jamie, have you been following some of the Women's Super League this season? Yes, I have. I've paid a lot more attention this season, and uh, I just I watched I watched part of the game on Saturday just because I was sitting watching the Scotland game, and then I flicked over later on, and they're playing so well, and the confidence is there, and as Natalie's saying, like they're putting the foot down when they can, and making sure that they get the second, the third, and the fourth. Um, all I was going to ask Natalie was, do you think then the Champions League qualification that's going to be key? to getting a few players like Rousseau and the like to sign these contract extensions? Or do you think they've maybe already made up their mind and they're going to move on? It's 50-50. I think with Rousseau, I don't know. I mean, I think I think with the whole club, the takeover, I know you're going to go on to it, but the takeover it is slowing things down. We heard it's slowing down Rastra's contract. But let's not beat around the bush. It's probably slowing down, you know, Yana Baxi, yeah, Alessia Russo. They obviously want big money and they want to win. That's what you know, they're two of the best players in the world, in my opinion. Like you're talking about Mary Earp, she's one of the best. She's got an option, but you know, we want to get her on a long term one as well. So, you know, I think it's a bit of everything. You know, the girls, they want to be paid. And I know people are like, oh, we can't overpay. But, you know, it's, and when you talk about overpaying, it's not really like Di Maria and Falcao overpaying. It's just, you know, they're probably making structures in a year that, that you know, an academy, you know, someone in a squad makes in a, in a in a in a in a week, so you know, it's we can afford to do it. We need to just keep investing. Um, but I think you know things like like you're saying about Champions League. If they're in the Champions League, that's how they deserve to play. You know, if we have like trophies and showing them that we you know we can win the league, we can win an FA Cup. And of course, it's gonna think they'll think twice. And I mean, last yeah. season there'd be a Miedemar. She was going to Barcelona, and you know it all changed round, and she stayed at Arsenal. See, you know it. It matters in the women's game. I don't think they just want to leave like this 
I always think they don't love United or, you know, it, it, they can't just pick up and leave. And, and go and create a, a new life somewhere else. It's, it's, it's harder kind of thing. It's not like they've got undisposable money, but, you know, we need to really be showing them that this is an ambitious pro- project and we want to win and, you know, this is the money you deserve. Yeah, I think the women's team really is at a crossroads at the moment. Um, you know, we've not been traditionally one of the heavyweight teams. The likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City have much higher budgets. I think this is the point now where Man United need to start backing the women's side. You know, we're talking about Alessia Russo, Anya Bajia, Mary Earps, who are all players who are out of contract in the summer and possibly the three best players in the team. I mean, it has been good that Ella Toon has re-signed up this season. Um I'm hoping that they're all just waiting to see how the team do, that we do qualify for Champions League, maybe even win that FA Cup. So, you know, it proves to them that this is a place where they can win trophies. Uh, You know, especially Alessia Russo, who, you know, as I understand it, is a lifelong Man United fan, grown up in a Man United family and, you know, best mates with Ella Toon and that kind of thing. So I'm hoping that she is waiting for that. And, you know, I have seen some people talking, you know, we come from redcafe.net message boards and some people there say they think she's already gone and maybe some of these players have already signed pre-contracts elsewhere. But I'm hoping not and that they're all just waiting to see how this season pans out. You would hope that our club, like I say, can pay them as much as anybody else. There's absolutely no reason not to. Like you said, Natalie, you know, compared to the money sloshing around in the men's game, it should not be a lot. Whatever Alessia Russo needs to be paid and whatever anyone else is offering her, we should minimum be able to match it. And then, yeah, I guess it's up to those players to decide on a footballing decision whether this is the right place to be. But I do hope that there isn't anybody, that it's not a money decision. We should be matching anybody. You know, we've easily got the finances to do so. Uh, You know, let's see from there. I mean, I did have one other question for you, Natalie, about Mark Skinner, the manager. I mean, look, we're having the best season that Man United women have ever had. But I do see him still getting a bit of kind of flack online. You know, I follow the Twitter and I know you're quite active on Twitter. And I was kind of surprised sometimes. You know, I don't follow it as closely. I try and watch the women's matches when I can. But I don't follow a lot of the stuff that's going around it. Um, So how come Mark Skinner is getting a lot of flack when the team is doing so well this season? So for me with Mark, what it is, is I think we signed... Three or four, well, no, he signed 10 players. A lot of them are international quality, but a lot of them haven't got minutes. And I get it, like, you know, you have to fight for his place. But for me, I think if you promise someone a certain thing, I'd get it, you know, you can't say everyone's going to be a starter. You know, there's 11 players. And I think it's that lack of rotation, that lack of giving players time. Um, We signed a player called Asatu Tukara. She was actually captain in her country. And then now, because Mark's not giving her any minutes, she's actually not potentially going to miss out on a World Cup. And it's things like that that people are a bit concerned about. There's actually been kind of similar accusations that we used to have at Ole about playing the same players, not necessarily using his squad. He's bought a few players in. There was actually, yeah, Luisa Garcia who came off the bench on the weekend and scored a couple of goals and came back in and made a kind of difference. Um, so, yeah, these are the players who've been fringed. But... You know, I say, look, it is the best season. We are top of the league. You can't really argue with the job he's doing at the moment. And hopefully they can still roll on. I don't know if Natalie will come back. She did actually say at the start that she was on her phone and wasn't sure how long that phone battery is going to last for. So we may well have lost her there. Uh, But yeah, look, thanks to Natalie anyway for that bit that she did manage to jump on for. And apologies if there was a bit of kind of sound issues there. As I said, Natalie was joining on her phone there. Uh, But yeah, it was good to hear the thoughts from somebody who follows the team home and away um i mean like you say jamie i think a lot of people are now kind of starting to watch a bit of the women's game uh you know the matches are sometimes on bbc and you can actually watch a lot of them for free on fa player as well so yeah mo- a lot of matches you can watch without having to pay any uh, subscription fees to the likes of sky and all which is obviously a major issue in the premier league and men's football nowadays but yeah i've been keeping an eye on it whenever i can one of the issues actually is often the matches clash where you know the yeah. men's game and the women's games are either kind of like one after each other or even at the same time and i don't know if they will look in the future at trying to avoid that because obviously you'd expect that there's man united fans who won't like to watch both the women's matches 
match and the men's match. But at the moment, I don't think there's any kind of scheduling that keeps these apart. And a lot of there's been several where they've been one after another. I mean, I actually went to the away game, uh, Man United women at Spurs a few weeks ago. And I literally then had to run from the stadium to a pub to watch United <laughs> men versus Leeds. And I missed like the first like, kind of 10, 15 minutes getting out the ground. Uh, so, you know, that was a bit of an issue. Was uh, that the spot? Was that Spurs game the one with the, the mad red card? Yeah, that was the one the where Ella Toon got sent off. Yeah. But then that red card was, was red eventually card. rescinded. Uh, I was actually quite surprised that they rescinded the red card. But yeah, it was taken away. She came back in the team. And uh, yeah, she's one of the big players who has re-signed this season. So you ho- yeah, like good. I say, we're hoping that Russo, Bajia, Erps. Russo I have the most hope for. A Man United fan. Erps as well, of course. Like you'd think the kind of English players have more of a kind of link. Whereas I don't know about Anya Bajia, who's a Spanish player. Maybe she might want to go back to Spain. Uh, you know, the likes of Barcelona are investing a lot of money in women's football at the moment as well. So yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. But yeah, look, we will try and get Natalie back later in the season to see how we've gone keep an eye on the women's side as I say they are also in the semi-final both the men and the women have drawn Brighton in the FA Cup semi-final so yeah that could also be the first cup for the women over there Uh, so yeah plenty for them to be playing for and it is really a totally crazy season with the teams all neck and neck every week is kind of changing Uh, so yeah it's kind of exciting there and keeps everything going there will also this summer be the Women's World Cup uh, starting in July out in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, England's Lionesses are one of the favourites for that. So, yeah, it should keep the kind of interest in women's football going on further all the way through the season. We will take a quick break there. We will then come back and talk about some of the things that are going on more around Man United men. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back for the second part of the show. Uh, so look, Jamie, since last time we recorded... It was actually the Fulham game that we never kind of covered uh, in the FA Cup. We rolled on, as I said. We are also playing Brighton, going back to Wembley in the semi-final. I mean, that Fulham game was so bizarre. I mean, we did not play well at all. We were absolutely missing Casemiro, getting out for in midfield. Fulham almost looked like they were cruising before they just completely self-destructed, right? It might be the most bizarre three minutes of football Man United have played since we won the treble. Genuinely. I couldn't believe what I was watching because you've went from thinking Sancho's took too long to just put the ball in the net to he's actually been playing 4D chess, managed to get us a penalty. Two players and the manager sent off. And basically gave us an easy last 50. It was madness. It was absolute madness. Like, I I couldn't believe the reaction of the the managers. Sorry, of the management team of Fulham. Because it's the most blatant handball you'll ever see. It's the most blatant red card for a handball you'll ever see. There's there's just no dispute in it. There's, There's nothing in it at all. And to see Silva just going crazy. I know he said like after it, oh, it's because of decisions. The decisions in the first half weren't even that... I don't even know the word. They weren't even that... They were speculative at best. Yeah, they had the a couple of kind of penalty calls, but there they was nothing clear at all. Nothing in, no, no, it was one of those that was like something and nothing. So for his reaction, you were like, 
I, I, I just I don't understand it to he's alleged to have thrown something at the fourth official, he's alleged to have said something to the fourth official. When the refs at the screen there was I seen a video on um on uh, Twitter and it was a fan who was standing the other side of the the VAR and he actually kind of shows you like when the ref comes over, he, he just looks down the touchline and literally five feet away, that's where Silva was kind of going mad at him. So you're like, well, that's a stonewall red card. But Mitrovic, I, <laughs> I just, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. As you said, it was more the implosion from Fulham was genuinely impressive because they had been playing really, really well in the game. Up to that point, we were really poor, but they were very good. And I, I don't know. Like, I've, I've, seen, I've heard kind of loads of film fans saying it. Like, uh, you know the guy off Pointless? The big tall guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a film fan, and I've seen him tweeting. Literally, as it was happening, losing his mind, saying like, you know, it's a stonewall penalty. Take the red card. Take the penalty. It's 1-1. There's 10 minutes to go. Just get on with it. They've been the better team. He just couldn't, even that even Fulham fans just couldn't understand what was happening with with the players and the manager. It was oh, it was totally bizarre. Yeah, it made no sense at all. I mean, uh, I think the manager just the pressure of being up at Old Trafford and maybe yeah. winning that match. He actually just, just couldn't take it. He yeah. just lost it completely. And then normally you'd think the manager is going absolutely crazy at his player Mitrovic, but he couldn't really say anything to him because he's the one who's already (laughs) led that kind of craziness there. And then, yeah, Mitrovic as well loses it completely and absolutely it's a red card and maybe he's even going to get a bigger ban than that. Yeah, we'll see what happens from there. But yeah, look, we don't actually care. Uh, We rolled on in this. Um, Bruno put away the penalty. Then it was a nice little finish from Sabitzer, a kind of like flick in and uh, Bruno Bruno finished it off with a kind of last minute one as well to make it 3-1 and see us through there. So, yeah, we rolled on in that cup. Um, <clears throat> I've obviously said throughout the season, I keep worrying about our schedule, <laughs> how many matches we've got. So that's another game in there. Um, but yeah, look, it's good problems to have. Going back to Wembley again, you know, anyone who missed out on the League Cup final, maybe some others can have a chance to go down to Wembley for the semi-final. And yeah, hopefully we'll still be there for the final as well. You know, and like I said, I've all said often that I kind of would be okay with going out of these to ease our fixture congestion. But once you get to Wembley in a semi-final, you obviously yeah. want to win it and you obviously want to be in the final. Um, Was that our 47th game of the season? It's something crazy. I mean, there's nobody who's played anywhere near the amount of matches we have. Not even close. We've played the most of anybody. I think I saw the stats as well that Bruno specifically has played more minutes than anybody in the top five leagues in Europe this season. That's more than like three goalies who've played, I think, nearly every game for their own respective clubs. Yeah, he never seems to get a rest. And and he plays all the time. But, you know, he doesn't play very well, but I, I didn't really read too much into the fact we weren't playing very well. When that kind of stat was said by the commentator, it's their 47th game, I was like, well, on top of that, we've got suspensions, we've got injuries, we've got trying to do a bit of rotation and put some players in for some minutes. It's obvious at some point we aren't going to play as well because it's just physically impossible to keep, yeah. to keep that up. So as much as we went through, I was like, yeah, it was one... Even if we... It, it, I wanted to win, obviously, but if it went out in that game, I think I would have just been like, yeah, whatever. That's just like too much congestion at that point. And I think that, more than anything, led to the kind of poor performance. We are getting back in Premier League action on this weekend. It is a proper six-pointer against Newcastle. Um We've kind of, you know, people were saying a few weeks ago, oh, we're comfortable in top four. That was the argument when I was saying we've got too many matches. Some people were saying, yeah, well, top four is kind of safe now. You know, maybe we can win another cup. And I was like, mm, I'm not sure it's that safe. You know, the way it's going, you only have to drop a draw here, a couple of lost points somewhere else. And as I say, Newcastle, some people thought, had kind of run out of steam. You know, they looked that way in the final against us. And I think people thought after losing that, that they were going to drop off. But actually, Eddie Howe's done a good job to get them going again. He's changed a couple of things. He's bought in Isaac ahead of Wilson, maybe shifted around a couple of other players. And all of a sudden, they've got a couple of results and a right back in there. <coughs> Tottenham, 
we know now Conte's been sacked. Whether that's a good <laughs> thing, whether that's a bad thing, uh, we'll have we'll, remains to be seen. I think it's actually bad for them, especially because they're not replacing him with any big name manager. It looks like it's just his assistant and Noel Ryan Mason, who's been caretaker before taking over. I mean, I will say that I was never for. We had this big discussion, right? Remember when Ole was kind of struggling and people were like Conte's available, and I was always very, very anti bringing in Conte exactly because of what's happened at Tottenham. He's exactly that kind of manager who can just implode. You know, people often compare him to Mourinho. They both have these kind of totally egotistical outbursts and it's all about them and they don't worry too much about a club's reputation. And yeah, yeah, again, it's kind of gone that way for them. Um, But yeah, look, Newcastle, I mean, how worried about you are this match, are you? You know, Newcastle away as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm more worried now than I was immediately after the Carl, uh, the I was going to say Carling Cup there after the League Cup final. Um, they've regrouped really well. As I was the same as kind of some fans who maybe thought, you know, they've lost that. They might run out of steam a wee bit and take a and take a while to regroup and get going again. But they've done it impressively. Isak is brilliant for them. Like he he makes such a difference up front. He's a big presence and he's fast as well. He's a lot faster than I thought he was. I watched the game against Nottingham Forest and he's very very quick and he's good in the air. He's got and he is a proper striker. I've seen him score good uh, some goals with just good movement, clever movement in the box, just waiting for the ball. And I think he's going to be a totally different threat if you like, than, than what we faced the last time we played Newcastle. Um, obviously, when I was younger, I used to go to loads of Newcastle games. And when they're up for it, it can be a very, very hostile atmosphere at the best of times, and it always is when they play against us. And the fact that they've managed to regroup and they'll be looking for a little bit of revenge when it comes to playing us for the League Cup final, I think it's going to be a very, very hard game. I think it's going to be a very tough game. Just because the momentum will be with them if they win. That's just one of those things. Like Tottenham have stalled. Conte's left, yeah. But even before that, they were kind of stuttering between games, getting some wins, then dropping daft points elsewhere. And now Newcastle, I think it's two games in hand. Newcastle have on Spurs. It might be one. But even if it's just the one, I think they can go above them if they win that game in hand. So it's huge because I think if we win it, I will think it's sorted after that. If we win, I think we'll get, that'll be top four done because I think it will just give us enough momentum and enough of an arm's reach to make sure we stay there. But if Newcastle get the win, I, I, I can see them going on a bit of a run and keeping that momentum going. Yeah, Oz and Newcastle still have two games in hand on Spurs. Uh, yeah, we are two, one, yeah, right. one point ahead of Tottenham, who are two points ahead of Newcastle. Uh, so it is absolutely all to play for. I mean, Liverpool are still around there as well. But yeah, slightly kind of further back. But yeah, you definitely wouldn't discount them. Uh, you know, the one big thing as well is that all these teams, Liverpool, Newcastle, Tottenham, have nothing else to play for this season, apart from that yeah. we're still going to be juggling the FA Cup. We're still going to be juggling our Europa league games and that is going to be the big thing and especially now we go into a run of three league games without Casemiro uh, you know that is going to be a major major problem I mean we saw against Fulham that kind of we were struggling in midfield we have to see what goes on over there I mean it's you know there's been the international games going on Casemiro, in fact, has now been made the new captain of Brazil, taking over from Thiago Silva, who's kind of getting towards the end of his career, I guess. Um, They actually played out in Morocco. You know, I was out there for some work stuff and they just played Morocco the other day and everybody was very excited about that in Morocco because it was kind of their first big game since that brilliant World Cup campaign they had. And Morocco beat Brazil the other day 2-1. but yeah, I, did, I didn't actually get to see the game. Um, but uh, Casemiro obviously played it. it. was captain. Fred wasn't picked this time, which was interesting. They've got a new manager since the World Cup Brazil. Yeah. So he's fully rested, which is good for us. Uh, Rashford pulled out injured from England. 
is back in training, so I'm hoping uh, that he should be back fit. I don't know whether, you know, Alex Ferguson definitely used to pull this back in the day. Used to be more when there was friendlies on, to be fair, that, you know, players would all of a sudden get knocks and sprains and pull out of international games, but still be available for United the kind of week after. And uh, he often used to get a bit of flack for it. But yeah, look. Manchester United obviously comes first. So, yeah, that's the most important thing. So, don't know whether there's any of this going on. I think probably there isn't, because I think Marcus Rashford probably would have loved to get back in that England squad because he's not locked into it. And, you know, on the form he's in, it is the right time for him to be playing internationally and getting his place in that team. England did pretty well without him, especially that win against Italy and a pretty decent win against Ukraine as well. But, yeah, Rashford out there. Shaw got a red card. Um, so he got a bit more of a rest. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was fine as well. Um, but then, yeah, give us our Scotland hour update. Uh, McTominay got two goals for Scotland the other day, right? Yeah, he played, he played well. I mean, he didn't start, which under Steve Clark's kind of unusual. Um, but I suppose that's more reflective of the fact that he's not really been playing much for us at all. And... Yeah, I think it's just one of those things. But he came on and did really well. Um, I'd argue both were much more of a striker's finish than anything else. Uh, he scored the second goal for Scotland where Lyndon Dykes does really well and kind of heads it. It's going over his head, but he heads it just kind of back into McTominay's path. McTominay takes a really good touch to take it away from the defender and just smashes it in the roof of the net. Really good finish. And then the third one... Um, it was just a bit more of a poacher's finish from just in front of the goal. But he done well, and he actually kind of put himself about well. Cyprus weren't up to much, really. I mean, Scotland are in a really good place at home, where against teams like Cyprus, they beat these teams now. they never done that in the past. And it was only 1-0 getting into the last 20 minutes. So getting the two goals from McTominay is excellent. His performance was really good as well. They've got a tough game tomorrow night against Spain, mm-hmm. which I don't know if he's going to start that. I think he might, because I think Steve Clark might go for a bit more steel in the midfield, and he might play instead of Stuart Armstrong. So he's not even playing where in the past he would have played on the right of a back three, mm. or he would have played in the midfield. He's not playing in those positions anymore, because the depth is better, and there's players who are actually suited to those positions that are now playing there. So it's actually freeing him up a little bit. It allows him to go forward a bit more. It is interesting that, because I've always said that actually Scott McTominay's shooting is one of his best attributes. Yes, and and I like him doing that for us. I like him kind of taking the ball and running forward. And when he plays that, you know, for us, he's more the kind of defensive midfielder. And he often gets a lot of criticism, but, you know, not showing for the ball, not being involved enough. He always does good kind of work off the ball, but he doesn't yeah. ever do enough on the ball. Uh, and yeah, he does definitely have a great shot on him. So yeah, we don't see enough of that. I mean, Sabitzer also got a goal for Austria, but apparently he's now a bit of an injury doubt. Uh, came out with a bit of niggle from that game. So we have to see what shape he comes back into Old Trafford. And otherwise, yeah, without Casemiro, it basically means we are back to McFred. Uh, <laughs> you know, we had so many discussions about McFred in the past and I think we were all pretty happy to have them both around, but we were all pretty happy that they were squad players rather than yeah. starters. So we are going to go back to them being probably our starting midfield options at the moment. Although, yeah, Christian Eriksen is also back in training, which is great, great yes. news. I mean, if he can get back involved, that is going to be such a bonus. Uh, I mean, it's been absolutely amazing the run we've been on without him because he was one of our most important players earlier in the season. I really thought when he was missing that we were going to struggle so much. We've kind of dealt with it. Plus, Ericsson and Casimir have been missing and we've still managed to get some pretty good results. So I just think that is absolute testament to Eric Ten Hag and the work he's been doing, that missing big players like that and he's still managed to pull out the results he needed. Um, so yeah, let's see if Ericsson back involved we're not sure at the moment otherwise it's looking like McFred for that big big game away at Newcastle the other two games that Casemiro will be missing for is going to be Brentford and Everton at home Um, not easy games either I mean there really isn't any easy games at the moment because that whole relegation in the Premier League at the moment there's about 10 teams involved in it and then any other team is maybe fighting for a European place so yeah this time of year you normally think there's a couple of mid-table teams that you don't mind playing who haven't got that much to go for but there isn't any of them at the moment everybody's 
fighting for something and every game is going to be an absolute battle. Uh, but yeah, first up Newcastle, like I say, it is absolutely a six-pointer for that top four race. And uh, yeah, we will see what happens with that. We will take another... What do you make, just, Go on, then. just before that, just quickly on the international kind of stuff, what do you make of Southgate saying about Rashford? I think he's probably is thinking that it's a Ferguson situation where his managers kind of told him to pull out. And I doubt it, right? Because I don't think that at this point, Marcus Rashford would do it, especially because it was like Italy we were playing. You know, if we were playing one of like the cannon fodder teams in the group or a friendly, yeah, I, I could I, totally understand that Marcus Rashford might be told by Eric Ten Hag, listen, you've played too many games. They don't need you for this. But playing Italy away, I don't think that Marcus Rashford would have pulled out of it unless he I mean, really even, had a problem. He even came off in that Fulham game. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was, it was obviously came off with a knock yeah, when he came off. Exactly. And then, to, and then today, I've seen like both on Rashford's kind of media feed and on the Man United media feed, saying, you know, that's him back, back in, uh, I can't remember how he described it, it was like uh, gradual training or something like that, because it was nothing too intensive, yeah. it was just to get him back, just running on the pitch. I think the only reason anything's even came of it is because he went to New York for a few days. Yeah. And it's as if it's rubbed people up the wrong way, and it's like, well, he's off. What do you want me to do, just sit in the house? Yeah, it is actually... I remember it's the kind of thing that always used to happen with Paul Pogba, that he'd be injured, then he'd be pictured partying somewhere or another and people weren't happy about it. I do kind of understand it, but I don't think that that is what is going on with Marcus Rashford here. I think he needed to have a rest, he needed to have a break, and yeah, hopefully it will suit us, because yeah, after Bruno, he's the next most kind of, you know, on the list of who's played way too many matches and is so important for us. So yeah, it is the kind of blessing that he's had this kind of break there over here, and hopefully yeah, he can keep on that absolutely mental scoring run he's been on, you know. Crazy the amount of goals he's scored since the World cop and uh, you know Southgate as well criticizing he, he wasn't criticizing Rashford exactly but there was a few comments but I'd say you know he didn't play Rashford enough at the World Cup Rashford went into that yeah. World Cup on good form and he did not play him enough um, I think it was fair that he didn't start for England because as I said he hadn't been in amazing form going into the season but he came in in that work he came in in the World Cup scored a goal and he should have started those next games he should have come off the bench earlier against the likes of France so yeah Southgate you know is slightly moaning there so yeah we'll see anyway but I don't think it'll be any major problem going forward I don't think um we will take another break there come back for the last bit of the show have a little chat about what's going on with the ownership situation and things like that lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, back for the last part of the show. Um, look, the big news, obviously, because it's international break, there hasn't been the men's football to talk about. There's all sorts going on on the ownership side we are hopefully going to try and get somebody from the man united supporters trust on a future episode to come and chat to us about their view about all this there's been two definite confirmed big bigs in uh, the first one comes from sheikh jasim from qatar with his 9-2 foundation you know that's a kind of link to the class of 92 and then the other big bid comes from Sir Jim Ratcliffe of Ineos, you know, one of the richest British men uh, out there. And he's obviously the owner as well of Nice and Lausanne football clubs. <clears throat> um, there's kind of, you know, pluses and minuses. There's controversy about all these kind of deals. There's also, you know, there's, we hear that Elliot Capital, American hedge fund, have been at Old Trafford talking to the Glazers about giving them some backing to keep them at the club, which I think nobody really wants to see. Uh, you know, that's our worst case scenario. I don't know whether this is all just kind of negotiation with them 
them saying, yeah, we don't need to sell and that kind of thing, um, whether it's a real realistic option. But Elliott Capital did actually own AC Milan. So I think there probably is something behind here. They have been involved in football. Uh, they made money out of AC Milan. So they may see an opportunity to be coming in over here as well. There's also this bid from, and I've forgotten his name now, I should have written it down, Finnish guy uh, who's oh, come the out in the blue. Guy, yeah. uh, he was the ex-chairman of, I think, HJK Helsinki or something like that. So he has some kind of sports thing. Nobody's quite sure if this is a serious bid at the moment or if he's actually being taken seriously by United. I've seen he's tweet- tweeting out there in a kind of almost Elon Musk kind of way where you don't really expect <laughs> these yeah. kind of guys to be out there posting on their own accounts. You know, we don't hear anything directly from the likes of Sheikh Jassim, which is part of the problem with this bit. He's a bit of a kind of mysterious, maybe character that we don't know that much about. Um, Jim Ratcliffe as well will do things kind of through his team, although Jim Ratcliffe did show up at Old Trafford with his kind of alter- entourage, where Sheikh Jassim was not not there he sent his kind of people out there uh, for the meetings at Old Trafford but yeah they've both made bids we're told that the Qatari bid is kind of stronger uh, no debt they're saying look we've got the money to buy the club we've got the money to invest in the stadium it's not that clear at the moment how the kind of uh, Jim Ratcliffe Ineos bid if there's any debt involved there I mean that is the big difficulty here we don't see the details of any of these bids there's just you know rumours things going out there but I mean on the face of it do you have a kind of preference from the bits you've seen out there I think if we're really talking seriously, we're talking about Sheikh Jassima Qatar versus the kind of British bid from Sir Jim Ratcliffe. I mean, do you have one that you'd prefer? I kind of struggle with it, to be honest. Um, because there is drawbacks to both of them. Um, with the Qatari bid, the, the ones are obvious. There's concerns about ties to state ownership. There's concerns about cultural implications that come with with the state ownership that would be a result of Qatar buying the club. Um, I'd be concerned about sports washing the same way that we've seen it in effect at Man City. We've seen it start to be in effect at Newcastle to a degree. And I'd be concerned about that at United as well. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've read things about Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos, you know, things about, I think it was the fracking debate and there was issues with that. There's issues with how green and how looking out for the environment it, that his company is, and they're, they're not really. They're quite bad for that kind of record. Well, that's it. On one side, you have sports washing. On the other side, you have green washing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Green washing, yeah. You know, and none of them, like you say, are I the cleanest bits. I, I really do. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I mean, there isn't any great option. At the same time, I always say that, listen, the kind of people who are going to buy us, you're talking billionaires, none of them are clean. They're all going to come with some kind of baggage. You know, you don't get to be a billionaire without having pissed somebody off, without having made some kind of issues in the world. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that's why for me, the most important thing is who is the best owner for Manchester United? I mean, the Glazers have obviously failed now for the best part of a decade and pretty much every Manchester United fan I know wants a kind of change. Uh, you know, in the past, I thought we actually, you know, the, we have won things under the Glazers in the early days with Alex Ferguson. Uh, they gave him the backing. He did his thing. They kind of stayed out of it. They left. They knew they had a great team in Alex Ferguson and David Gill. They gave them the money that the club earned themselves and they just left them to it. And we won Champions Leagues. We won Leagues. It all worked fine. But when Fergie left, that has been where all the problems started. They didn't manage the kind of transitions to other managers very well. Um, a big problem for me was like, you know, the kind of people who were on the board who were making the decisions. This is what I want to see from a new owner. You know, I kind of made a list of trying to see what does matter to me. And it's kind of four things, basically. <clears throat> One, you obviously want somebody who's investing in the transfer market, but sustainably, you know, I don't want to be a kind of financially doped club like we've seen at PSG, like Manchester City, like Chelsea back in the day under Abramovich in the early times. Well, I say Abramovich, even the new guy, Todd Bowley, spent absolutely ridiculous amounts this year. Yeah, Bowley does it. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, we don't need that. We don't need it. We we already actually spend crazy amounts in the transfer window. You know, we've wasted so much transfer cash in the recent years. It's not due to lack of spending or failures at all. It's, you know, if anything, it's spending too much and on the wrong things and bringing in the kind of Galactico type signings that don't work out. Um, you know, Ten Hag has had a brilliant, summer of transfers all the people who've bought in are doing pretty well i mean look mate we overpaid for sure for anthony and you know with the jury slightly still out on him but yeah i think he's a manager who like kind of alex ferguson can be given a free reign to say listen you go and do your thing so yeah we don't want owners who come and meddle with the manager you sometimes see that these new owners come in they think they know better they think they can be picking the players Obviously, the next most important thing is investing in the infrastructure. That's been the major problem under the Glazers. They've they've given plenty of money for players. The squad has been invested in. That's never been an issue. But the ground, the training facilities, they've not had enough money put in, especially the ground, which either is going to need a massive refurb, like we're seeing out at Barcelona and Real Madrid are both doing big kind of refurbs of their grounds at the moment, or it's going to be a knockdown and rebuild like Tottenham, like Arsenal, and that's where the big money is going to be needed. And then, yeah, the other thing is hiring competent people on the board to run the club. You know, we had this debate for ages. Director of football, who's making the decisions. There was too many business people involved, not enough sports people. And yeah, these are the things we want to see going forward. I mean, of course, we have no idea, actually, who's going to do that for us. We just have to take it on face value. I mean, there's a bit more of a track record for Jim Ratcliffe to go off. You know, he does own Nice Football Club. He does own Lausanne. And neither of them have done very well since he's bought them at all. So that's a kind of, uh, you know, black mark against him. Um, but at the same time, Sheikh Jassim is a bit more of an unknown quality, quantity. We don't really have much background from him. Some people, there's a discussion as well saying, is this just a state bid dressed up? Is he a front man for a state bid? Uh, you know, officially, they're saying this is a private bid. Um, you know, Sheikh Jassim's father has made billions and billions. He was kind of working for the Qatar State Sovereign Wealth Fund for many years, doing some of the biggest deals in the world. They invested in Barclays Bank. They invested in Sainsbury's. They owned the Shard in London. They owned Harrods. He did all these deals, and I'm sure he got big commissions on all of them. And then, you know, on their own account, they've made a lot, a lot of money by investing in real estate personally for the family. They have their own family fund. And the Sheikh Jassim himself has been on the board of like banks like... Credit Suisse and things like that since his early kind of twenties, but yeah, we you know we don't know. Like you say, I'm like you. None of them are great options, but we kind of want rid of the great glazers, and we have to kind of choose from who's going over here. I mean, the only thing I go on, it does seem like Qatar do have the funds to do what we need. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit of kind of worries about messages coming out from Ineos about that. As I say, also worries about the way his other clubs have been run. But yeah, we are, you know, we as fans, we don't have that much say in it. That is the only, is this Finnish guy, that's the only interesting thing. He's come out and said, I want to buy the club. I then want to partner up and I'm happy to sell 50% of the club to the fans, which sounds absolutely brilliant. I mean, whether it's realistic is a whole other yeah. question, how that works. I mean, I do know, as I said, it could be something that must could come and comment on because they had already been talking to the glazers about getting a kind of fan ownership share but yeah of course that's all gone very quiet now you know it was a commitment yeah nothing's happened on that for ages has it well it was talked about you know the glazers made this commitment after the failed kind of super league stuff there was a lot of moves towards it must even started taking votes amongst their members on how they thought this kind of thing could go forward so it really was quite a kind of advanced stage but now you know since they've announced towards the end of last year that they're looking to sell that's all gone totally quiet and it will all be down to a kind of new owner but yeah i understand that i understand what you're saying that you're difficult you don't see kind of any great options so then it's about trying no, to pick the, the other problem i've got right is i'm starting to become concerned about the financial fair play situation we found ourselves in because I was reading one of the reports from uh, I think it was Laurie Whitwell in the Athletic, and he went through and said, "Look, exactly, you were exactly right saying the money's always been made available. It's been totally mismanaged. It's been shambolic spending. Not not recently so much, but certainly what ten years ago, seven years ago, the way the money was spent 
was an absolute shambles and it's starting to come home to roost and that's now you've seen maybe one report a week. Journalists are now starting to say, look, top four is an absolute must for Man United this season. It is a must. Not because of the fact that Ten Hag wants the team to play in the Champions League yet, obviously, but from a financial standpoint, it is an absolute must. They have to be back in the Champions League. They need that income coming in for next year. They need to start looking at selling players and not the way they've sold players in the past, where they've sold them for absolute pennies. If they want to be starting to balance the books for these deals that they've done, like Anthony, like Sancho, like going back further than that for... Um, oh, names have escaped me there, but it's, it's the proof's in the pudding basically saying if we don't get top four and if we don't look in the summer to start looking at selling players for a decent amount of money or their market value, if you like, we're going to find ourselves in a bit of difficulty. So it is starting to get... I'm starting to get a little bit nervous about it in that this, this end of the season has to yield Champions League football, whether it's through the top four, whether it's through the Europa League or both. It needs to be done. And then in the summer... We know we've got a good squad. We know we've got a really good 11 when everybody's fit and free to play. But this is where we need to start being ruthless with players. The ones that we think are good but aren't going to quite make it or quite take us on, start to get rid of them and start to look at bringing some money in. Because as much as we give Man City stick, for example, for for the way they spend money, the way they sell players is unbelievable. Mm. But they, they, they just decide that they made a decision on a player and just say, right, we're selling them. And they sell them for really good money. It's not for little amounts of money. It's for really good money. And that's what we have to start doing. Because for years, we've been rubbish at it. And basically bringing in no money. And that's our own fault, really. But we need to start getting better at that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've seen some of these reports about issues with financial fair play. I I think a lot of this does go back to... There was issues in COVID. And this ultimately is what's ruined the Glazers' business plan is COVID, that kind of season and a half, two years of lack of match day revenue has absolutely broken their business plan, which was totally reliant on all that revenue coming in uh, for servicing the debts they've got. You know, they still always, they have, to be fair to them, still kept investing. You know, even in the summer, they spent a huge amount. We had no money left in this winter window, which is why we've had to make do with a couple of loan signings. Apart from that, you know, there's always been a fair bit of money available. Um, But yeah, it's come to the point where they know the big, big money for the stadium is the big problem. That obviously doesn't come into financial fair play. I think once a new owner comes in, clears the kind of debt levels, I don't think we'll have problems with financial fair play after that from what I get it. Um, It's not that clear uh, exactly. But yeah, we spent huge, huge amounts, like you say. And that is something we can't complain about whether it's on transfer fees, whether it's on wages, you know, our wage bill has been the highest in the world at like certain points. So yeah, that money has come in for sure. Um, But yeah, it still hasn't just happened there. But yeah, it's difficult to make a kind of decision. Like I said, I did ask you, do you have one of the two bids that you kind of have a preference on? If you want to push me on one, From a selfish football fan point of view, Qatar, purely because looking at the two bids, you think some noises are coming out of the Ineos camp that makes me think they don't actually have the money for this. And if they they were going to do this, they might have to look at partnering up with somebody else just to make sure that it goes through. Whereas Qatar seem hell-bent on, no, we want total ownership of the club, there's the money. That'll pay for the club. That'll pay for the stadium. That'll pay for the transfers. But again, I have I have very big reservations about both of them for different reasons. And yeah, I'm kind of just sitting back and watching watching everything unfold at the moment. But for how scunnered the fans are with how things have been under the Glazers and things and Woodward before uh, Arnold and Murta and stuff like that, I just think. People are fed up and want a resolution to this and want somebody else. And the vast majority of fans just, as you said, want rid of the Glazers. And I agree with that, but the options out there for who comes in next 
are very thin on the ground. And as I said, I've got kind of problems with ball. You're pushing me, so who would you pick? Yeah, look, on the face of it, I probably would also pick Qatar just because it seems like they definitely have the backing to come in and deal with things. Uh, I know people's problems with Qatar, they talk a lot about the kind of, you know, human rights issues, the morality side of it, which I think was a totally valid concern when the World Cup was in Qatar. I don't think it's that important to who is the owner of Manchester United because, you know, when they're coming in over here, it's not like they're going to have to be causing problems with any of our, I don't know, gay fans or the women's, things like that. You know, you see even Qatar own PSG. Qatar women's team are doing very well and they've invested plenty over there. Um, and, you know, if they're building us a new stadium, they're not going to be shipping in migrant workers from wherever. Um, so it's a different kind of thing. I do understand concerns about it. I do know that some people are saying, look, this is a state bid. It's just backed, you know, they put a front man out there. Yeah. I'm not totally sure about that. From what I've looked into, the family, Sheikh Jassim, the Anthali family, his dad in particular, has made billions and billions and billions. They're an incredibly wealthy family. I think they probably can afford this. Maybe they have to partner up with some other people they know. Uh, there is also banks involved. You know, when they say it's a debt-free thing, it doesn't mean they're showing up with a suitcase of six billion pounds and putting it on the table. It means they're not putting the debt on the club. I mean, when the Qatari yeah. delegation showed up at Old Trafford, there was bankers from Bank of America there. So for sure, there's financial institutions involved but that will be done privately. It's not going to be an issue for Manchester United Football Club. That had always been the problem with the Glazers. The debt they bought in had to be paid by club revenue. Whereas these guys are going to come in and what they do privately, how they finance it, that's up to them. As long as it doesn't affect club revenues, it doesn't bother me. Uh, but as I say, we don't know. A lot of it is just speculation. We don't know the details of it. We don't get to see these bids. We can just go off what we're told and, you know, hear the kind of rumours in the, that are going out there. But, yeah, for me, I would probably go towards Qatar. At the same time, I do think sometimes it's a shame that all of our big football teams are being sold off to foreign investors. Yeah, so do I. Whether they're yeah. Middle Eastern, whether they're American, uh, you know, Russian before money as well. It is a shame that some of these things aren't kept more in British hands. And, of course, Sir Jim Ratcliffe is a Manchester-born guy. Uh, he has definitely been a Manchester United fan. He does. Some people talk about his Chelsea season ticket. Chelsea trying to buy Chelsea, yeah. which is a slight black yeah. mark against him but I think that's probably more kind of you know he lived and worked around uh, West London and maybe had corporate facilities there he has definitely been to Old Trafford and he has been a United fan and follows football in general um, but yeah at the same time I, yeah, I agree I agree because I, part of me is a bit like that as well and it's only because I, as I said from a selfish football fan point of view I think one party's got the money whereas I think the other party might struggle but again, in a kind of roundabout way, I probably would prefer Ineos if I knew that both could outright pay for it, no issue, bang bang. I probably would pick them because I would prefer the idea, as you said, of Jim Ratcliffe being in charge and being the owner. But I mean, they both they both claim to be Manchester United fans. Um, you know, Sheikh <laughs> yeah. Jassim, we're told, has been a fan. For, in fact, there was the article um, in The Athletic that said way back in 2010, when the whole green and gold kicked off, and there was these kind of Red Knights mystery. Oh, Red Knights, yeah. They said that at that time as well, Sheikh Jassim was somebody who was involved in talking about backing that kind of Red Knight consortium of fans. Uh, so, you know, he's been looking around Man United going back more than a decade now. So it's not just showing up. So I think he yeah, definitely sure. is also a Manchester United fan. Both of them are. I mean, you can go on about it again for hours and hours. Like you say, umming and ahhing about plus over here, minus there. I mean, there's other things on like people talk about the political side for Qatar, but Sir Jim Ratcliffe is a big donor to the Conservative Party in England. He's also a big exactly. supporter of Brexit. That, for me, is a massive issue. You know, I was totally anti-Brexit. I never wanted that so to happen. That. So, you know, yeah. things like that come into play as well. Uh, so, yeah, you can constantly go back and forth on, yeah, this is better, that is better. At the end of the day, we have no say in it anyway. We Glazers are obviously going to take whatever bid is best for them and go forward, and we just have to kind of watch from the outside and see what happens. Um, you know, we will keep kind of up 
updated on what's going on on these things. Hopefully somebody from Must will join us on a future episode to talk about that as well. I think that's probably about it for this week, unless I've forgotten anything, Jamie. As I said, yeah, thanks to Natalie for joining us earlier. Uh, Shame she kind of dropped out there, but yeah, we will get her back on later in the season. Um, Apologies for any sound issues. Like I said, I think there was a bit of a crackle on your track there. Hopefully it wasn't too bad. And uh, Natalie's kind of phone reception wasn't always great but i hope all you listeners have been able to listen to us there a reminder again that we are now putting these out on youtube so you can check us out there and i could there'd been a couple of comments saying nice to kindly put faces to names out there um we will be back yeah after that yeah we've got newcastle as i say then brentford then everton uh before we get back into the cup matches uh so yeah we will see you back after that international break thankfully coming back to an end and yeah back to the premier league football let's hope we can roll back on let's hope we can deal with casemiro being away and uh deal with those midfield issues and just yeah we need to keep that top four kind of solid and then we can start thinking about the cops and yeah let's hope Manchester United women can roll on as I say it's a bit of a surprise for them to be top of the table at this point in the season when we are just kind of six seven games towards the end of the season but yeah couldn't be in a better position but they could easily finish top they could also easily finish fourth if things don't go that way so yeah it's not anything done there at all but yeah both teams as well rolling on the FA Cup so yeah we'll keep you updated on everything as usual but yeah that is good night from us for the moment we will see you back on the next one good night troops sports social podcast network okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.